It's your radio, the future of radio. Welcome to Cinema Caroline, a cinema of the mind. To best enjoy the show, find a quiet, comfy spot and plug in your headphones. Adjust the sound so you can hear clearly and without strain. Now, let the sounds project a movie on the inside of your mind. Enjoy. Welcome to Cinema Caroline. Today we will hear the origin stories of Superman and Captain Midnight. Superman is probably familiar to most of our listeners. Captain Midnight may not be so familiar to modern ears. However, Captain Midnight was every bit as widely known as Superman is today. Later in the show we will talk a little about the history of Captain Midnight. But, for now, let's start out with our familiar super pal, Superman. Here is the story of his origin. It runs about 15 minutes, as did many radio plays of the era. Listen for the signature opening lines. Those few lines evolved in interesting ways over the years. After this opening episode of Superman we will hear what our crack team of knowledge miners found out about the Superman radio and TV shows. And so, for now, let's kick back and imagine Superman's home planet of Krypton shortly before it was to explode orphaning the young child who would become Clark Kent and Superman on Earth. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! No, it's Superman! It was like a moment frozen in time. Frozen in slow motion. An on-rushing truck. A young boy on a skateboard. But it wasn't in slow motion. It was real. And unless the truck stopped or the boy swerved, the inevitable would happen. Watch out! Get him! Stop! 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 Look out! Suddenly, the boy fell from the skateboard right in the path of the oncoming truck. I zoomed downward into the street, stopped the truck with my right hand, picked the boy up on my left, and headed for the sky. I came down in a quiet wooded area a few miles north of Metropolis. The boy had a nasty bruise on his knee, and we bathed it in the cool water of a clear stream. What's your name? Danny, and you're Superman. How long have you been practicing the skateboard, Danny? Danny, meet Superman. Boy, wait till the gang hears this. You know, that could have been a nasty accident. I sure wish I had the kind of strength you have. And city streets aren't exactly the place for skateboarding, are they? Do you have special exercises you do? I mean, like push-ups and all that? <laughs> You're not listening to a word, are you? Sure I am. You come from another planet, right? <laughs> Tell you what, Danny. If I answer your questions, will you answer mine? Deal. Me first. What planet were you born on? Krypton. Where's that? Far away, Danny. Very far away. In another galaxy. You know what a light year is? Sure. Light travels 186,000 miles a second. So multiply the number of seconds in a whole year by 186,000, and that's a light year. Good, Danny. Now you can appreciate the distance. Krypton was many, many light years away from Earth. It revolved about a giant red sun and was inhabited by a race of highly intelligent beings. Hundreds of years before, they had solved the problems of space travel established nuclear energy plants, tamed all the powers of nature, except one. It was my father, Jor-El, one of Krypton's leading scientists who knew what this power was, 
and that it was to bring disaster to Krypton. I tell you, we must evacuate our people to another planet. Because you hear rumblings in the ground? Don't be ridiculous, Jor-El. These are more than mere rumblings. There are powers beneath our planet's shell that are beyond our comprehension. Within a year, Krypton will explode like a gigantic bomb. Jor-El, your imagination's running amok. Impossible. Sheer nonsense. I mean... I was just a small tyke at that time, but I can still hear my mother's voice singing lullabies, crooning the ancient folk songs of Krypton. Jorel? They refuse to listen, Lara. Won't hear a word. They've had it too good. They're fat, smug, and complacent. And they'll be destroyed. And we along with them. Unless we get out while there's still time. But how? I'll build a spaceship for us and our son. He's so little, Jorel. So small to die. Can you? Can you build this spaceship? I can try. I've been studying a small planet in another galaxy. It's people whom we've been listening to on our interstellar radios call it Earth. It is a bright new sun. A sun that could mean new strength. For months, my father labored on the spaceship, drawing plans, collecting materials, revising, improving. In time, he had brought forth a small, workable model. A miniature spacecraft. He was working toward a larger one. Large enough for the whole family when the day of disaster came. As my father had predicted, Krypton had become one gigantic bomb. Tremors shook the earth, huge cracks riffled the surface, gaping holes suddenly yawned. Oceans roared and surged landward, giant buildings toppled like matchsticks. Great transit tubes reared skyward, twisting, bending. Explosions threw debris into the sky for hundreds of miles. Krypton was dying. Get our son. We've got to make it to the launch pad. Lara, please do as I say, darling. Yes, Jorel. At the launch pad, my parents placed me aboard the small spacecraft. We'll never see him again. It's the only way, Lara. I hate so to to part with him. At least he'll live. Hurry, Jorel. The quakes are coming closer. Everything's ready. All controls. Countdown. Ten. Nine, eight, seven, four, three, two, one, ignition. Goodbye, my son. Happy journey, Live, my son. As speed increases, time expands, slows down. And as I traveled across the billions of miles of space at speeds faster than light, I grew only a very little. By the time the small spaceship entered the solar system, I was still an infant, unable to talk, unable to walk. Soon, the ship entered Earth's atmosphere and plunged to the surface on a small farm near a village named Smallville. I don't know how long I lay there, perhaps for days, until I was finally discovered. Hey, Martha. Need something, Jonathan? Come here, Martha. Look at this thing. What is it? Well, I reckon it was a rocket ship. I'd reckon the same, Jonathan. Mm, somebody's idea of a practical joke, I guess, or 
a publicity stunt. Let me get this concern thing open. Well, I'll be. It's a baby. Baby boy. You think he's a Martian, Jonathan? Heck, Martha, why just look at him, just as human and cute-looking as any baby I ever did see. <laughs> oh, he's such a darling, Jonathan. Just what we always wanted but never could have. Now, don't get your hopes up, Martha. You know we'll have to take him to the foundling home. We could adopt him, Jonathan. Only if the home passed on us, Martha. We'll see. Maybe. Have you made any decision yet, Doctor? You've got to realize, Mrs. Kent, that the Smallville Children's Home will have to make a thorough investigation before the boy is passed on to you for adoption. Of course, Dr. Thomas. And we'll make every effort to locate his real parents first. Other than that, I can only say he seems to be a healthy baby. Very healthy. Yes. Goodbye. Doctor, look at this. What is it? It was a toy truck. I gave it to him this morning. Did he throw it? No, Doctor. He he just mangled it in one hand. Now, nurse. Not only that. Look at this hypo needle. It's broken. I tried to vaccinate him just a little while ago. The needle won't penetrate. Impossible. It must have been a bad needle. Here, go back and try it with this one. What's going on? Look! What's he doing up there? He's flying! He can't be! He is! Just look! I don't believe it! Neither do I! Let's get out of here! Nurse! Doctor, you're so pale. You don't look so rosy yourself. Look, get the kids on the phone. Tell them, tell them they can have the child and to come pick him up right away. Of course, I was very small then, and a lot of it I don't remember. It came down to me in stories told by my foster parents. But as I grew, I began to sense the powers within me. One day, walking home from school alongside the railroad tracks, I heard the whistle of an approaching train behind me. And I began to run, just for kicks. At first, it was just a lot. But as my strides lengthened and my pace picked up, I began to notice I was keeping up with the train. Putting on a burst of speed, I went ahead of it, past it, and got to the crossing in plenty of time. And I wasn't even out of breath. As time went on, I found out a lot of things about myself, about things I could do that others could not. But never was I allowed by my foster parents, my new father and mother, ever to think that because of these powers, I was better or smarter or in any way greater than other people. They told me I was lucky. That's all, just lucky. And I guess I am. And when my father took ill and he lay in the hospital waiting for his final day... I don't have long, son. And there's one last thing I must say to you. You have amazing powers. Superhuman powers. Use them wisely and well for the betterment of your fellow men. As a bulwark against evil. And hold fast always to the principles of justice and truth and honesty and fair play. Always. Promise me. Denny? Huh? I didn't mean to be so long-winded. Heck, I could listen all day. I mean, gosh, I mean, you know, that's some story. I mean, gee. <laughs> Look, I've got your skateboard fixed. 
but you've got to promise me. I know, I know. Not in the city streets. I know. Promise? Promise. Good. Now, let me give you a ride home. Up in the sky? Up in the sky. Let's go. Up and away. I dropped Danny at his home, changed my clothes, and spent the rest of the day at the Daily Planet as Clark Kent. Later that afternoon, Lois told me a young boy was waiting to see me. Of course, it was Danny. Come in, young fella. Have a seat. Thanks. So you're Clark Kent, ace reporter. That's me. Boy, have I got a story for you. We have just heard the very first episode of Superman in the broadcast media. We are left to fill in the images of both Krypton and rural America with our imagination. Sure, we of the 21st century may have a lot of ideas of what images are associated with the sounds and words we just heard. After all, many listeners will have seen the movies or the TV show or read the comics. And so, we may have preconceived notions of how Superman is supposed to look and sound. But, with the sound play, an audio presentation, you can veer off the standard path, imagine the details in ways no one has brought to screen or print imagery. Our crack team of knowledge miners was able to glean some Superman radio show history from Wikipedia. The Adventures of Superman was a long-running radio serial that originally aired from 1940 to 1951 starring the DC Comics character Superman. Created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, The Man of Steel first appeared in Action Comics No. 1 in 1938. The following year, the newspaper comic strip began and four audition radio programs were prepared to sell Superman as a radio series. When Superman was first heard on radio less than two years after the comic book appearance, the character took on an added dimension with Bud Collier in the title role. During World War II and the post-war years, the juvenile adventure radio serial, sponsored by Kellogg's Pep, was a huge success, with many listeners following the quest for truth and justice in the daily radio broadcasts, the comic book stories and the newspaper comic strip. Airing in the late afternoon around 5 p.m., the radio serial engaged its young after-school audience with its exciting and distinctive opening, which changed slightly as the series progressed. Most familiar today is the television opening, which copied the radio opening from 1945 onward, save for and the American Way line, which was an even later edition, but the most oft-heard radio opening through the mid-1940s was presenting the transcription feature, Superman. Up in the sky. Look. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman's strange visitor from the planet Krypton who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can leap tall buildings in a single bound, race a speeding bullet to its target, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth and justice. By September 5, 1945, the opening, repeated at the close, had morphed into faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. The TV show followed in the years after the radio show ended. 
the TV show starred George Reeves as Clark Kent and Superman, Noel Neal as Lois Lane the adventure-seeking newswoman and Jack Larson as Jimmy Olsen, cub reporter. Superman is a superhero so familiar to modern culture that you can expect pretty much anyone to understand a reference to Superman, Clark Kent, or Lois Lane. A large percentage of the old radio shows can be found online to be streamed or downloaded. Now let's learn about the Captain Midnight radio show with some excerpts from Wikipedia. Captain Midnight is a U.S. adventure franchise first broadcast as a radio serial from 1938 to 1949. The title character, originally Captain Jim Red Albright, was a World War I U.S. Army pilot. His Captain Midnight code name was given by a general who sent him on a high-risk mission from which he returned at the stroke of 12. When the show began in 1938, Albright was a private aviator who helped people, but his situation changed in 1940. When the show was taken over by Ovaltine, the origin story explained how Albright was recruited to head the Secret Squadron, an aviation-oriented paramilitary organization fighting sabotage and espionage during the period prior to the United States' entry into World War II. The Secret Squadron acted both within and outside the United States. When the United States was attacked at Pearl Harbor, which curiously was foreshadowed in the program, the show shifted the Secret Squadron's duties to fight the more unconventional aspects of the war. Besides the stock villain, Yvonne Shark, the war years introduced Axis villains Baron Von Karp, Admiral Himekito, and Von Schrecker. The Secret Squadron wartime activities were usually outside the continental United States, with adventures in Europe, South America, the Pacific, and continental Asia. War-related subject matter included the theft of an experimental flying-wing aircraft, radar-coupled anti-aircraft guns, jet aircraft, and other weapons. After the war, some of the newer villains used war surplus equipment to carry out their activities. Secret Squadron activities shifted to contending with criminals as well as spies. The action continued to operate internationally, with adventures in South America and Africa as well as within the United States. The show was extremely popular, with an audience in the millions. Just under half the listeners were adult, and it was a favorite of World War II U.S. Army Air Corps, U.S. Air Force, crews when they were stationed in the U.S. Radio premiums offered by the series, usually marked with midnight's personal symbol of a winged clock with the hands pointing to midnight, included decoders. These codographs were used by listeners to decipher encrypted messages previewing the next day's episode, usually broadcast once a week. Other premiums included rings, telescopes, and World War II items. The broadcast messages were encrypted with relatively trivial monoalphabetic substitution ciphers with word division. The scripts depicted women who were treated as equals, not just characters waiting to be rescued. Both Joyce Ryan of the Secret Squadron and Fury Shark, daughter of villain Yvonne Shark, pulled their own weight in the adventures. Joyce went on commando raids and became involved in aerial dogfights during World War II. And with that background in mind, let us listen to two episodes of Captain Midnight. The first episode tells the story of how Captain Midnight got his name after a life-risking World War I mission. The second has Captain Midnight opposing his nemesis. Close your eyes, maybe put in headphones or earbuds, and listen closely to Captain Midnight.
Ovaltine presents Captain Midnight. Captain Midnight, brought to you every day, Monday through Friday at this same time, by the makers of Ovaltine. Captain Midnight is a new program to many of our listeners. It is written for red-blooded young Americans, for boys and girls, yes, and for mother and dad, too. For everyone who's young in spirit. Captain Midnight will bring you plenty of excitement, mystery, suspense, thrills galore. It lets you live a story of real adventure, in the air and on the ground. You'll never want to miss a single broadcast of Captain Midnight, and you'll want all your friends to enjoy it, too. So be sure and tell them to listen in every day. This program is brought to you by the makers of Ovaltine, the famous food drink that is a favorite with millions of Americans, young and old. Ovaltine is a favorite food drink for two reasons. First, because it's so downright good. You'll love its rich, satisfying flavor. So different from any other drink you ever tasted. And you'll never grow tired of it. Second, because Ovaltine is so good for you. It brings you loads and loads of valuable vitamins, minerals, and other vital food elements that help build strong, healthy bodies. Give you the pep and energy you need to be wide awake and husky. So tell Mother you'd like to start drinking Ovaltine every single day and to start listening to this swell new program. And now, to Captain Midnight. We are about to embark upon a series of strange and exciting, dangerous adventures. Adventures that will lead us to all parts of the world. But now, in order that you may understand the amazing events which are about to take place, we take you across the Atlantic Ocean to wartime France. The First World War had reached a moment of crisis. The Allied armies were in danger of terrible destruction. And then, at the moment of greatest peril, the courage of one man helped save them from surrender and lead them to final victory. We take you now to a small bomb-proof dugout somewhere in France where the flickering light of a candle plays across the strained face of a lone officer, a general of the Allied Army. He's studying a military map. Outside, the night is black and cold. Suddenly, we hear... But listen. Come in. Major Steele? Sir, everything is prepared. You have found the man? I have. What's his name? No. It's better that I don't know. I agree with you, sir. There are only two people in the world who know the mission to which he has been assigned. You and our leader at Washington? Yes, sir. Major, do you think he has a chance? I am afraid the odds against him are about 100 to 1. If he fails, it will be terrible for us all. It will... But enough of that. Bring him in. Yes, sir. Wait. I don't want to see his face. Blow out the candle. Yes, sir. Now, bring him in. Yes, sir. Will you come in, Captain? The man is before you, sir. You have your instructions? Yes, sir. Then I want to talk to you. To be sure that you understand the risks you are taking. I do. If you fail tonight, it will be the end for all of us. If you are successful... Our country will be saved from defeat. Do you understand? I do. Also, if you succeed tonight, you will have started a long and dangerous task, which, if you live, may require your lifetime to complete. Is that clear? Yes, General. Very clear. Above all, you understand that your ultimate purpose is the extermination of the most rascally and dangerous criminal in the world, a traitor to the United States, a fiend who has caused the slaughter of thousands of your countrymen. I am speaking of the one known as Ivan Sharp. I understand. 
You are ready to go? My plane stands outside the door. Good. Henceforth, until you have accomplished your final task, you will not be known by your true name. What name you will be known by rests in the hands of fate. How long do you think it will be before we know the outcome of this night's venture? Sir, if I've not returned by 12 o'clock, you will know I failed. You are a brave man, Captain. Now, Godspeed. Thank you, sir. Into the night roars a plane piloted by a lone man upon whose shoulders rests the fate of his country. Hours later, he has not returned. The general of the Allied armies is waiting in his dugout with despairing hope. What? What time is it, Major? Fifteen seconds to twelve o'clock. Well, Major, I... I guess we're sunk. It means disaster for us all. It was too much to ask of a mere man. I should have known that... Listen! Listen! Do you hear anything? I do. I do. It's a plane. Listen to that. We're saved. Yes, and it's just 12 o'clock. Yes, and to me, he shall always be Captain Midnight. But that was 20 years ago. Slow. Strange stories were whispered about a shadowy plane, a mysterious pilot, who whenever trouble started in any part of the world was certain to come diving furiously from the night sky. But the years have passed. We're no longer in France, but in the United States, in the gently rolling hill country of Virginia. Out among the hills of Virginia, there stands a solitary, lonely house. It's situated well back from the road. Trees and shrubbery form an effective screen. The house of gray stone gives the impression of having been recently remodeled. The house and grounds appear to be deserted. But suddenly... A car is heard approaching along the road. The car turns in the driveway, drives up to the front door and stops. The car door opens, closes. A man mounts the stone steps to the door. He's tall, muscular, and his lean, dark face is bronzed by wind and sun. His hand reaches for the bell, but before he can ring, the door opens, and a man's voice says, Yes, sir. What can I do for you? I beg your pardon, but I may have lost my way. I came two miles west four south, and then eight miles west again. That's most curious, sir. Do you realize you have cubed the numeral two? Numerals two, four, and eight were considered lucky by the ancient Medes and Persians. And even in those days, a secret. A secret even today. And, I might add, the way is long. You're right. The way is long. But the reckoning is sure. You haven't lost your way, sir. Come in. I'll take your hat. Thanks. Here are your instructions. Shall I open them here? If you please. We must be sure you know what to do. Hmm. Are your instructions perfectly clear? Absolutely. You will follow me. Now then. Very interesting. Warm in front of us. Part of it seems to be moving. You will follow me through the opening. Very clever. I would never have dreamed there was an entrance through that wall. We hope no one else will either. Now then, I'll close the door. You will follow me down the stairs in front of us. Indirect lighting, I see. Yes. All lighting is indirect within the house. Now then, from here, you go on alone. 
Well, I see nothing but concrete walls and a flagstone floor. I know. I'll step on a certain flagstone near the wall. Well, more surprises. The section of the floor is rising. Now I see a circular staircase. Yes. You will descend the staircase according to your orders. After your head is below the floor, I'll close the opening. Goodbye and good luck. Goodbye and much obliged. steel door. That must be the button that will open it. Well, I guess here's where I'm supposed to make myself comfortable. So I'll try out one of those easy chairs. I see the door is beginning to close again. And that hum indicates an air conditioning system. I wonder how long it will be. While Captain Midnight waits in that secret room of the lonely stone house in the Virginia Hills, a car turns into the estate's driveway comes to a stop at the front door. Three men step out from the rear seat. The driver closes the door behind them. Three men hurry up the steps. One man in the lead, the other two following closely behind. The house door opens, and the first man enters, the other two remaining outside. He is waiting for you below, sir. Very good, FS-11. I'll go down to him at once. Pardon, sir, but do you have your mask? Yes, in my pocket. I don't think he will recognize me anyway, but I'd better wear it. I'll adjust it on the way down. Every precaution must be taken. How do you do? Good afternoon. You are Captain Midnight? I'm the one known by that name. Yes. Your real name is Captain Albright. But please, uh, do not remain standing. I will sit down also. Thank you. We have a great deal to discuss. There are very few people indeed who know my real name. I know all about you, Captain Midnight. I know that you and your ward, Chuck Ramsey, have just returned from a vacation in the Orient. Chuck and I have been back less than a week. Then perhaps you are not very well acquainted with the events of the past few months. I have learned that there has been a vast increase in un-American activities that endanger our democracy. More than you dream, Captain Midnight. More than the general public knows. Certain things have been kept quiet. Sabotage of airplane and munition factories has taken place. Various explanations have been offered. But I have come to the definite conclusion that a secret anti-American criminal organization has come into being that endangers the very existence of the United States and is directed by an evil genius such as the world has never known before. I am forming a secret squadron to combat this criminal force, and I wish you to command it. Well, you do me a great honor indeed. I have taken a long time to look the field over. You, I am sure, are the best equipped man in the United States for such a task. Well, I am flattered indeed, but if you'll pardon me, I don't know who you are. It's true, Major Steele sent me to you, and I have full confidence in him. I know full well what is going on in your mind, Captain Midnight. If you take the post I offer, you must have absolute confidence in me. You must know who I am. I disguised myself before putting on this mask, and I don't believe you'll recognize me. But pardon me a moment while I turn my back to you. There. Now my mask is off. Do you know me? Why, no. No, I don't. Then read the name on this paper. You. You. I never dreamed it would be you, mister. Please, Captain Midnight. Don't go any further. You must never mention my name. Captain Midnight has had many a stunning surprise in his dangerous and exciting life, but never one like this. A breathtaking shock comes over him as he suddenly realizes the tremendous gravity of the situation. He can hardly wait for this vitally important conference to continue. What will be Captain Midnight's answer? Will he accept command of the secret squadron? Don't miss the exciting adventure tomorrow 
Tune in same time, same station to Captain Midnight. Now, just a word about you. You who have just heard the opening episode in a new series of exciting adventures with Captain Midnight. If you like the way this program begins, keep on spreading the news to all the fellows and girls you know, will you? And don't forget to try Ovaltine this very night. It's not only a good-tasting drink, but it's good for you, too. You see, Ovaltine brings you loads of wonderful vitamins and minerals and other food elements our bodies need if we're to fill out and grow up strong and husky. Nobody wants to be skinny-looking and tired and worn out all the time. We all want to be regular fellows and girls, full of get-up-and-go, always ready for adventure. And that's why thousands and thousands of smart fellows and girls are drinking Ovaltine every single day. Why don't you try some tonight? And then be sure to tune in tomorrow, same time, same station, for another stirring adventure with Captain Midnight. Brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, by the makers of Ovaltine. See you tomorrow, and until then, this is Pierre-Andre, your Ovaltine announcer, saying goodbye and happy landing! This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. And now that we know the origins of Captain Midnight and the Secret Squadron, let's kick back, perhaps with a cup of Ovaltine, and listen to the second episode. The makers of Ovaltine present Captain Midnight! Captain Midnight, brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, by the makers of Ovaltine, in a brand new series of exciting adventures. Ovaltine, you know, is that delicious food drink for young Americans who want to be always ready for adventure. Strong, healthy, and full of pep. But now, you know there are two kinds of Ovaltine. Regular Ovaltine and the new sweet chocolate-flavored Ovaltine, for those who like an extra chocolatey taste. It's every bit as good for you as regular Ovaltine with the same important vitamins and minerals and other things to help you grow strong and husky. But besides that, it has a tantalizing new flavor that you'll go for. It isn't like anything you ever tasted. It's rich and tasty and smooth and satisfying. Swell for after school when you're feeling sort of dragged out. And grand for drinking hot or cold with morning, noon, and evening meals. And every time you drink it, you know you're getting lots of mighty important food elements to help your body fill out and develop the way you want it to. So why don't you tell Mother tonight that you'd like to start drinking new sweet chocolate-flavored Ovaltine every single day. Get a can at your grocery or drugstore. Chances are the whole family will enjoy it with you. And now, Captain Midnight. Yesterday, you remember, Captain Midnight met a mysterious masked stranger in an underground chamber beneath a farmhouse in the hills of Virginia. This masked stranger asked Captain Midnight to take command of a secret squadron to rid the country of a powerful organization of spies and traitors. Captain Midnight is willing to do so, but he hesitates. This might be a clever trick on the part of his lifelong enemy, Ivan Shark. True, Ivan Shark is believed to be safe within prison walls in Canada, but 
Captain Midnight and Chuck Ramsey had been away from the United States for a long time. Something could have happened. The masked stranger sent as Captain Midnight disgust. He knows the famous pilot must have complete confidence. Therefore, he unmasks. Momentarily, there's a tense silence. And then, Captain Midnight draws in his breath sharply. I... I never dreamed it could be you, mister. Please, Captain Midnight. Don't go any further. You must never mention my name. I believe you will be the first to see the wisdom of such a course. You're absolutely right, sir. I'm not easily taken off my feet, but... I must admit that for a second I was. I guess you realize now, Captain Midnight, how critical I consider this situation. There isn't any doubt about that in my mind, sir. Don't you agree with me that some tremendously powerful force must be behind the disasters of the last few months? Yes, I do, sir. What about Ivan Shark? Do you believe Ivan Shark could be at the head of this fiendish organization we are fighting? Well, sir, my last contact with Ivan Shark was when I captured him and turned him over to the authorities in Western Canada. He was convicted and sentenced to prison. And I don't see how he can be at large. You know how careful they are in Canada about spies and criminals. Yes, I know. Criminals and foreign agents don't escape easily from Canadian prisons in these times. I'll get in touch immediately with the Canadian prison authorities and find out about Shark. I must confess, though, that the crimes and sabotage activities of the past few months certainly bear his earmark. But what do you think of my idea of the secret squadron, Captain Midnight? Do you think it will work? It's the only feasible plan, sir. We've got to work undercover to catch Ivan Shark. That's my opinion, too. That's how I happened to conceive the idea of the secret squadron. And for a moment, uh, before we talk about you, let me tell you what I have done and about my plan. I'm eager to hear about it, sir. I have already had certain bases constructed at strategic points in the country. Each one of these bases will have a select band of government secret agents on duty at all hours of the night and day. As far as possible... Each group of these agents will be kept in its own section. If one of them should fall into the hands of the traitor organization and be put under pressure, he could do no more damage than to disclose his own base. Identification between agents is to be made only by passwords and signs. As far as possible, no agent should know the true name of another. You approve so far? Absolutely, sir. It looks like a marvelous setup. Among the agents assigned to the secret squadron are several highly talented makeup artists. <laughs> in fact... One of them is responsible for the disguise I now wear. Well, he did an excellent job, sir. I'm sure I wouldn't have recognized you even without the mask. Disguises are to be used constantly by members of the secret squadron to prevent recognition by the criminal organization. That's an excellent precaution, sir. And now, one last thing before we talk about you. I want to tell you about the agent who admitted you to this house today. His work in government service has been outstanding. You will find him completely reliable. He's the only one who knows my identity. His name is Kelly, but he is designated SS-11. SS-11? Yes. Oh, I get it. SS stands for Secret Squadron. Correct. And you, if you take charge, will be SS-1. Yes, sir. Now then, Captain Midnight, perhaps you are wondering why I have chosen you. Many years ago, my predecessor and Major Barry Steele were the only two men who knew the identity of the man who performed such an outstanding service to his country... In France, in 1917. You were that man, Captain Midnight. And in the years that have passed since that day, you have continued to serve your country as no other man has done. Major Steele has told me of many of your exploits. They are perfectly amazing. I am positive it would be impossible to find a more capable leader for the secret squadron than you. Well, really, sir, I, I don't know quite what to say to all this. There is only one thing I am anxious to hear you say, and that is the word yes. 
I know you have given up everything most men hold dear in order to serve your country. Major Steele has told me about your young ward, Chuck Ramsey. I understand the boy is the son of your best chum, who was killed many years ago in an airplane crash. It's a splendid thing you are doing, taking this boy under your wing. And he is very lucky to have a man of your character as his guardian. Major Steele tells me he is a splendid lad. He is that, sir. They don't make him any better than Chuck. I rather imagine his ambition is to become a pilot, isn't it? To follow in the footsteps of his father and his father's best friend? That's it, sir. And he's not bad already. <laughs> he shouldn't be. With you as his instructor. But to get back to the point. I know you wish to retire, and you're entitled to it. But your country needs you, Captain Midnight. What do you say? There is only one answer I can make, sir. Under such circumstances, I can't think of myself. I have only one desire. To serve my country. I hope that would be your answer, Captain Midnight. Please give me your hand. And now, will you repeat after me the following oath? With full realization that death may be my lot. And while life in me lasts. With full realization that death may be my lot. And while life in me lasts. I pledge allegiance to the cause I have espoused. I solemnly swear to save my country from the dire peril it faces. Or perish in the attempt. I pledge allegiance to the cause I have espoused. I solemnly swear to save my country from the dire peril it faces. Or perish in the attempt. And this oath I swear... In the name of my country and the secret squadron. And this oath I swear, in the name of my country and the secret squadron. Not far away in these days of high-speed airplanes and radios is a large city. In a certain busy section of this city, but so far underground that no sound of traffic penetrates its interior, is a chamber intricately and scientifically constructed. It is the work of a genius, an evil genius. As Captain Midnight has suspected, there is only one man in the world who could have gathered together a band of spies and arch-criminals and molded them into an organization as a weapon for the purpose of fulfilling his insatiable ambition, the domination of the world. We find Ivan Shark seated at his desk. He's studying a large-scale map of the country. Slowly, he raises his slender hand and... You call, Master? Yes, Fang. You will please enter and close the secret door behind you. Yes, Master. Barnoff has just arrived, Master. I will see Barnoff in a minute, Fang. But first, is there any news from Gardo? No, Master. There is no report from Gardo. Gardo is slipping, Fang. He should have discovered something by this time. It was six days ago the rumor came from San Francisco that Captain Midnight and Chuck Ramsey had returned from China. Captain Midnight is a smart man, Master. One of us must be liquidated, Fang. And you know which one it will be. Number seven, Fang, knows which one it will be, Master. Yes, Fang. Captain Midnight must go. But now, I will talk to Barnoff. He is waiting in Chamber B, Master. Good. I will open entrance B and you will go out that way, Fang. No one but you and I must know of our secret entrance. Yes, Master. The air pressure is up. I will depress the lever for entrance B. You will enter at once, Barnoff, before the door closes behind you. Be ready for my ring, Fang. Yes, Master. Now then, Barnoff, what is your report? Everything is set for that job coming up next week, Chief. Oh, yes, Barnoff. Let me see. That will be project number 84. Yes, boss. That's it. What are the final plans? We will have four getaway cars parked in front of the arsenal, Chief. Just before the explosion, each car will go in a different direction. 
We will get away in plenty of time. And no one will be able to pick up our train. Mm. <laughs> excellent, Barnoff. Excellent. Now then, that is the emergency signal, Barnoff. You will wait in the entrance outside. I hope there's a good job coming up, Chief. I will be waiting. Most important message, Master. Yes, Fang. What is it? There is radio message from Washington. The one you are watching has at last made a move. Ah, indeed, Fang. So it has come at last. Very well. Give me the details. Yes, Master. Wolf reports the one he has been watching must have left his residence by a secret passageway. He was in disguise. Recognition was made only because two government agents were guiding him. He entered the car and was driven west. Wolf and Margot are following him now. As soon as they know where he is going, they will radio another report from their car. I'm glad this has happened, Fang. The crisis was bound to come sooner or later. This undoubtedly means but one thing. A secret organization is being formed to fight us. We must know who is at the head. Everything about it. Ah, a radio report is coming in now. I'll switch on the speaker. Wolf reporting. Destination. Slater Farm, Virginia. Wolf reporting. That's enough. The time for action has arrived. Send out calls to our best men, Fang. Radio Gardo at once. Order my plane to be ready at the airport. I will take personal charge, and we will leave at once. Any organization being formed to fight us must be destroyed. And thus we discover that the dangerous Ivan Shark is free and more powerful than ever. Little has anyone dreamed that Ivan Shark has prepared so well, knows so completely every move that is being made against him. What will happen at the Slater Farm in the rolling hills of Virginia? A titanic struggle is about to begin. Don't miss the breathtaking adventures ahead. Tune in again tomorrow, same time, same station, to Captain Midnight. But now, let me ask you one favor. If you like this program, if you enjoy the way Captain Midnight's adventures are beginning, tell all your friends, will you? Tell them Captain Midnight's on the air, and boy, is he swell. And then be sure to listen every night, and as it gets better and better, keep on telling your friends to tune in and share in the fun. And don't forget to try that delicious, new, sweet, chocolate-flavored Ovaltine, the marvelous, new, better-tasting food drink that everybody is so crazy about. And no wonder, you should just taste it. It tastes so good, you wonder if it can be true that it's actually that good for you, too. But say, it certainly is, with all those wonderful vitamins and minerals and things that are in it. Just the things our bodies can use to help keep us strong and husky. Now, better start drinking it today. Just ask your grocer or druggist for new sweet chocolate-flavored Ovaltine. That's all. And now, tune in tomorrow, same time, same station, for another thrilling adventure with Captain Midnight. Brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, by the makers of delicious new sweet chocolate-flavored Ovaltine. Until tomorrow, then, this is Pierre-André, your Ovaltine announcer, saying goodbye and happy landing! This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. And so ends the second episode of Captain Midnight. Many episodes of this show have been lovingly preserved by the folks at the Old Time Radio Researchers Group. Use your favorite online search engine and look up Captain Midnight. 
you will find them listed along with some fascinating articles dealing with the free decoders and hidden compartment rings given out as premiums. Now, in the 21st century Captain Midnight is a distant echo, little known to many, but thankfully we can find almost the complete series available as close as the nearest internet-connected computer. Pull off your headphones and stand up, stretch, and relax. Superman and Captain Midnight have your back. Thanks for visiting Cinema Caroline, Cinema of the Imagination. You have been listening to Cinema Caroline, Cinema of the Mind. You've just listened to an IYR original program. It's your radio, the future of radio.